Welcome back to Awaken Agile. We've got a great session lined up for you today to speak about mindsets and how you can help influence or change mindsets. And we have a special guest to talk about it. We have Michelle Holzman, who has been on before, and she is a change manager with a strong passion for behavioral science. What better topic to speak about mindsets and behavioral science? Buckle up, everyone. Here we go. with Adam and our special guest, Michelle Holzman. How are you both? Hello. <laughs> good. How Morning. are you guys? Good. good thanks. Good, good. Ah, uh, yes, the three-way chat. Mm. 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 <laughs> More difficult than the two-way chat. <laughs> That's all right. That's okay. That's good. That's good. Um, all right, beautiful. So we've got an exciting episode today that we're going to unpack and dance around and try to dive into about changing mindsets. Um, and we've got Michelle on the line here too. Maybe Michelle, well, given that you are so passionate about behavioral science and everything that comes with it, I think this topic is very suiting to you. Um, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Well, wh why don't you give the audience um, a bit, well, tell them a bit about yourself. Yeah, so I, my background is actually behavioral science. So I am fascinated by, I guess, why we do what we do and what are the narratives behind it, what motivates us who we look at and who we listen to especially when it comes to something like change uh, so shifting mindsets and making change easier is definitely a topic I'm happy to talk about fantastic you studied law as well didn't you yeah once upon a time I'm one of those people that I think I've I've tried umpteen different roles in the hope that they'd fit and I guess that's why I'm so passionate about change because I think it's really important to be able to adapt and embrace, especially in the ever-changing tech arena that we're all working in. Um, so things like learning and unlearning, um, being able to adapt to change are really important. And the one that's really come out for me at the moment is all about incongruence and authenticity. So it's really easy to sit there and go, I'm going to try and make a shoe fit like Cinderella's ugly stepsisters. And the more you try, the more it ends up backfiring on you and the more you end up with spillover effects and self-sabotage and it makes change even harder to do. So whilst I started off once upon a time as a lawyer, I've, I've definitely had a couple of career reinventions, which I hope is actually an experience I can use to help others. Awesome. Very nice. Yeah. All right. Well, before we get into it, we have to do our check-in question. Um, Adam, you've thought of a check-in question, I think. <laughs> Yeah, this came up during the week when I shared my screen and I had a news channel up on Google. And I apologise, everyone. Please don't think that this is my selection of news for choice. What is your the website you go to to get your news? Um, so I'm I'm one that goes to usually BBC, but that's also because I've got a lot of friends overseas, so it's an easy one to keep tabs on different parts of the world. Uh, where do I go? <laughs> How do I choose my words in a way that won't be <laughs> judged? Um, I actually quite like using Twitter, although, it, you know, Twitter is a cesspool um, because I follow a bunch of different news companies and 
mainly American, actually. I do follow a couple in Australia, but mainly American. And on both sides of the aisle, so you get to, you get a flavor of one topic from two different views. But that's actually a good thing because yeah. it means that you're getting different perspectives and it makes you more open to critical thinking as opposed to just sitting there and trying to find 100 different sources that are going to confirm a confirmation bias. So mm-hmm. it's not necessarily a bad thing provided you can go in with eyes wide open. How about you, Adam? What's your news channel of choice? Well, uh, like I have to agree with George. I do follow some creators on Twitter to get the latest of what they're creating, uh, but it is a toilet. Yeah. If if you go <laughs> if you go and uh, go and just accidentally look at uh, something from the political sphere, it is an absolute yes sewer of <laughs> verbiage. Yeah. Um, anyway, I I like to make my own decisions on things, so I look at a range. So I look at I look at ABC, and I look at Sky. So. <laughs> Yeah, well, they're both, completely opposite, I suppose. Yeah. Both poles of the spectrum uh, on both. So, yeah. Just That's cool. Interested in seeing what the different commentators are saying from different ends of the spectrum. Well, truth be told, that was something that I loved about living in the UK and reading the articles even about COVID in Australia and having polar opposite views just based on what little subculture you were living in. Mm-hmm. So... Um, I think that's great if you are looking at polar opposites and then analysing it with with a bit of critical thought. Cool. All right. Now that we've got the the politics out of the way, uh, (laughs) let's get into it. So uh, what are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about mindsets and changing mindsets. Uh, I I think, well, I think Anna would agree with me and and Michelle would agree with me that um, introducing change in teams, especially Scrum and Agile methodologies in teams that haven't experience them or uh open to them is really tricky because they've been doing something one way for a long time and um and now we're asking them to change and um we could be in the perspective of a po uh coming from a project management background and and helping helping them let go and let the team do a bit more it can be in the perspective of a team member who um have been in projects their whole life and this new scrum thing is you know really hard to get their head around um, even someone moving from absolute sizing to relative sizing, uh, it li- literally can be anything. But I know that it is one of the biggest challenges of Scrum Masters and, and other leaders in teams to, um, to help influence that change and help change people's minds to start growing accustomed to the new way of working. Yeah. What do you reckon? Shall we talk about that? Let's go for it. Okay. All right. So I did what all Scrum Masters should do when they're facing a challenge and I Googled it. So there you go. Um, <laughs> I, I was, I was going to go look at some TED Talks. And I thought, oh, I've only got 18 minutes before we should log in. So maybe I'll just quickly read something. That's great prep for me. Um, but I've got this article on Bustle, which is a magazine, I think. Um, anyway, the, the, the writer is um, Karina Wolf, and there are nine, nine ways to change someone's mind. I thought what we could do is just talk about each one and quickly and just unpack it and see if we agree, disagree, and see if we can uh, somewhat change the scope or, or help leaders help influence a mindset change by just unpacking this and dancing around it. And we've got the perfect people on the call for it. So let's do it. Awesome. Okay. What's number one? Uh, okay. Number one is earning their trust. The more familiar the other person is with your values and the alignment between your values and your actions, the more likely that person is to trust you. With trust comes a willingness to consider your viewpoint and be swayed by it, says Dr. Marlene Carousel, author of Principled Persuasion, 
start earning a track record of proven reliability if the situation does not allow for the establishment of, uh, of such trust be because of time limits, cite examples of how you have done what you've said you do in the past. Hmm. Interesting one. I feel a little bit triggered by that. Tell it me. sounds like that person is trying to earn the trust in order to influence. And that's, mm. that's people will start to see through that pretty quickly, I, I think. It's insincere, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. We talk about this a lot with teams, you know, you build the trust as a, as, a, as a scrummer or a team leader, build up the trust and then the team will listen and, and follow and maybe heed your advice or maybe they would challenge constructively. But if you're trying to build up trust just to get your own way, I think that's a slippery slope. You're not gonna, it's not going to work. Yeah, I tend to agree. I think as soon as you've got a hidden motivation, it's really easy where you come in and you're trying to prove yourself to think that all you have to do is show this is what I've done in the past and this is why I'm brilliant. And the more you do that, the more you're putting a wall between you and the other person because you're going, I'm brilliant, my ego says so, and because I know things you possibly you can't possibly know them and you should just do what I do. Um, and I've been in those teams. I've listened to people give those talks and instantly I just sit there and I'm like, cool, you've lost my respect because mm -hmm. you're not interested in anything to do with me. There is no authentic trust here. Mm -hmm. So that's, I think, the, the cornerstone of trust is that it has to be authentic. You actually have to give a damn about the people mm -hmm. that yeah. you want engaged yeah. because people aren't stupid. And unfortunately, trust is one of those things that it takes a very long time to earn. And if you screw up, it's the fastest thing to lose. Mm. But it's because even in your actions, like if you sit there and you haven't built the track record, all that people can do is that they can look at what you're saying. They don't have the actions to match up to it. And as soon as that's the case, they'll look at past experiences with past people and that negatives jump out five times more than a positive ever will. That's just the way that the amygdala is programmed. Trust is fundamental, but it's one that takes patience and it's one that's, it's a two-sided investment. It's the same as mentoring. You, you have to both genuinely care and then absolutely, if someone's worried and it's a situation where they're uncertain, they're most likely to go to you to ask for help. All right. Number two, know their influences. So what are we talking about again? Changing your mindset. Okay. It's really not about you. Uh, if you want to change someone's mind, you have to know what, it, what is important to that person. As certain as you are that your opinion is the right one, you need to be able to understand the other person's possible objections. Hmm. I like that one. I like to know. I think that's interesting. Trying to change someone's mindset before you know where they're coming from isn't going to be very helpful. I think, yeah, ask why. Ask ask why they don't want that thing to change or ask why they feel uncomfortable um, letting go or or diving in the deep or doing something different. Yeah, go go in with a plan. You know, how is, how is this possibly going to be reacted to? Mm. And maybe address that when you're talking talking with the group or with, with the person. So, look, you, you might be afraid of because of reasons or you may be thinking blah, 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 and address that. It shows that you've thought about it and you care about them. Yeah, so the first thing I do as a change manager, if ever I'm rolling out a new um, initiative, is I will actually sit and talk to people uh, because I want to know what, what interests them, what do they love doing, what do they hate doing, what are the pain points and from that, I can start to garner or at least hypothesize what I think 
the the narratives or the blockers are going to be because 98% of the time our behaviors are driven by the subconscious. It's stuff we're not even aware of. So for you just to sit there and be like, oh, if I dangle a carrot, you'll jump is a dangerous game. But at the same time, if I can then sit there and go, okay, admittedly they're themes and they're not going to hit the mark for everyone, but these are the general narratives that are probably driving the fear and driving the resistance, then I can go, all right, well, here's the fears. And then on the other side, here are the kinds of incentives that typically match up to it. For instance, if if it's a fear around not having control and the change being something that just happens to them, then giving people the ability to jump in and help shape the change, giving them that sense of control is a fantastic incentive. On the flip side, you might have a situation where it's just that little bit of a hurdle and you know that they actually want to do it, but it's getting them over the edge. And then your really basic incentives are great because the extrinsic incentives work really well as motivators, but they only work short term. After that, it needs to shift into that intrinsic state. So that's that's probably the biggest flag on, on being careful with what kind of incentives you use and when you offer them. Because otherwise, if you look at something like KPIs, um, you can incentivize one behavior. And if you don't understand the system in which you've incentivized it, it can completely backfire on you. And I've seen that happen too many times where you'll sit there and go, yeah, we're going to do this so that we can increase sales. And lo and behold, we've increased sales, but we've done it at the expense of our moral compass. Yeah, love incentives, but there's it's also one of those slippery slopes. Can you explain intrinsic and extrinsic? Yeah, so basically extrinsic motivation or goals or anything is when you're looking at the outside world. Uh, so it's me dangling a bonus in front of you so that you will um, increase your sales or feel like you need to work harder. It's giving a different kind of job title. It's putting you together with a group of people and having you compete against each other. It's what typically drives us when we don't know our core values, whereas the intrinsic motivation is built around that core self. So it's the things that matter most to me are having an impact. And that's something that other people can't control. Exactly. Exactly. So if you can shift a person where you might need to bribe them up front just to get them over the fear hurdle, Mm. but you then need to tap into what genuinely matters to them, a much deeper thing that it requires that trust. It requires that knowledge of another person that we touched on in that first point, because without that, you're really just touching on the surface level. Mm. Mm. Cool. All right. Two down. I think we're going to need to speed it up a bit. Yep. <laughs> All right. So, <laughs> uh, although I'm, I'm loving this. Uh, okay. So number three, ways to change someone's mindset, cite a higher authority or precedent. So people are usually influenced by someone who is nationally recognized and re- respected. Referring to well-respected figures uh, or to a comparable project being successfully executed elsewhere can be useful in your argument. Um, I'm happy to go just quickly on that one. I, I, uh, I, I tend to agree a little bit. I think people, some, some people need credibility. They need to know that there's credibility behind something. doesn't necessarily mean it's right. In fact, doesn't mean it's right at all. Um, but yeah, I mean, for instance, if you were to put that in the category of scrum, you can say, well, Elon Musk likes doing scrum stuff. Um, the Australian government is using scrum in a certain way. Spotify has um, gone on about scrum. And again, the credibility may not be, I don't know, it may not line up, but um, I, I definitely think that 
some people respond better to that than if this this little scrum thing came from nowhere and it, it had never been used before. Um, I, I think people would be more apprehensive to accepting it. Yeah, I read an article about this on LinkedIn a while ago, actually, where it depends on what kind of change it is as to who you're going to look at. So if it's something like you are getting a mortgage, funnily enough, you're more likely to ask every friend and family member you know because it's something that you know is going to directly impact you. So experts aren't going to be someone you trust. It's going to be, would my family do this? How have they experienced it? And what what do I want to do in light of that? So in that sense, social norms um, and the groups that you actually identify with play a big part. It's where you have things that are big and scary and completely unknown that you're more likely to look for an expert. I'm trying to think of what an example would be like that. That's the reason that, for instance, in in the TV ads for for toothpaste and things that they'll chuck someone in a lab coat to make it look like a dentist. Mm. It's it's to create that um, expectation that this is someone that knows what they're talking about and your family aren't really going to care. So you should listen to the experts here. So health is a great example. Mm. I had a trainer once who liked to quote lots of books. All that proved is that they've read a lot of books. Not that they, you know, necessarily had walked the walk. Mm. All it really made well me feel is like, well, I should read more. I love that. I love that. But it's true. It depends on who your audience is. Mm. So if you've got people that are really, really intellectual and you don't have a whole lot of credibility behind you, that's the way that you would buy the credibility. But if you're talking to anyone and everyone, then it's it's the polar opposite situation. That's just going to create a divide of you're not like me. Uh, I'd be yeah. like, congratulations, you've read a lot of books. Before. Yeah. <laughs> That's really what it was. And yeah. like you mentioned Elon Musk. And it's like you've got to kind of pick your target. So if, if you're talking to a team and say, well, Tesla has sent a <laughs> rocket into space and they brought it back safely and how great are they? We should be great as well. Well, it depends on what you're talking about, right? Of course. You know, if you're about to go and go out and uh, play a team sport and go out to battle, you might reference the Spartans or something just to rev oh, everyone yeah. up. But yeah, yeah, yeah you got to you got to pick the right expert, so to speak. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. All right. Uh, oh, okay. Get out on a verbal limb. Number four. Um, so, if you are supremely confident about the worth of your idea, you can offer assurances that represent an iron glade ironclad is it did i pronounce that right that's a bit embarrassing yeah moving on guarantee for your influence uh so you could say something like if the evaluations do not average four or five or five or four or five out of five then you do not have to pay me or if this doesn't work i'll bring donuts to the staff meeting for a whole month going out on a limb what was the title of that one again they go out on a verbal limb so basically it, it's Just like make promises well, kind yeah, of. It's okay. like, hey, I know I'm so confident that this change is going to work that if, if it doesn't, look, I will uh, give you my car. <laughs> well, that's the whole concept of like no win, no fee in law firms. Um, or if you don't like it, mm. then return it. Uh, what's mm. actually evil about that is that as soon as it requires effort to go back, the studies have shown that most people won't actually do so, which is, is a great marketing ploy. It's just not quite... Um, beneficial to the consumer but it is it's 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 relying on the fact that if there's no risk then what's the harm Um, but when you do that a person's never actually going to buy into it because they don't have to invest anything 
So that's that's the biggest challenge there. Uh, all right, very good. Uh, number five, make make them feel like it was their idea. So again, we're talking about <laughs> changing someone's mindset, helping them feel like it was their idea. Number five, people are more likely to change their mind if they reach to conclusions for themselves, not because someone told them to in the conversation, get them to think about why they may want to change their mind or behavior. Uh, one tactic that often works is asking them to actively list the pros and cons of changing their mind or behavior, because that allows them to realize the need for change to take action on their own. I would say this might be our last point given I've forgotten Fine. to pay for the pro on Zoom and now we're short on time. <laughs> so, I, 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 I kind of agree with that one in the right context. So if, if, you're, if you're with a team, you're trying to get a team to come up with a better way or improving, if you're facilitating the session and you're helping them to come up with their own ideas of how to improve and how to change, then that's a great session. But the start of that comment was a little bit evil around, you know, almost like the the... The salesman yeah, trick of you know, making almost like yeah, they're stupid, right? Some sort of you know a Jedi mind trick about yeah. getting them to think that they're doing the right thing, yeah. You know, but I think if you're facilitating it so that the team figures out what's best for them, and then design and experiment around that, if it works, great. If it doesn't, that's also great because you've learned something. Mm. That's a, that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure I've got much more to add on that one. I, I completely agree. I think. It's a great one in the sense that if, if people reach their own conclusions, they will own it. And then they've, to get to that point, they have to overcome whatever narrative was blocking them. Otherwise, it's creating a new form of incongruence or internal conflict because then they've got two competing stories. Whereas if you just shove it down their throat, then it's, it's instantly going to cause that retaliation. So I think it's, it's more around how and when you do it I think that's like it goes almost back to that first point about trust is it's planting the seeds early on so that you can lead the horse to water because sometimes you will know there's a better solution and especially if you're in that leadership position that's your responsibility is to be able to paint the vision but you've got to get them each step of the way to be able to lead them in that direction. Yeah, it's I think it's one of the hardest tricks to learn as a leader is when not to step in and just say, look, here's the solution. Here's what we're going to do. Yeah. Be able to sh- shut your mouth and just let them come to their own conclusion mm. is, is one of the hardest things to do. Absolutely. But I think it's one that every parent has. You'd sit there and you watch a toddler fall down and your instant re- like reflex response is, oh, I've got to rescue them. Mm-hmm. That's, that's just how we're wired. Mm-hmm. And Jordan's, of course, laughing because he's like, yep, Casey. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, my wife does that. Uh, do I rescue him? No. <laughs> which, which as a consequence, he's actually learning quicker on how to climb things because I don't hold him. But that, and that, but you know what, in, in, especially in like a work environment, that's a great thing because we're, especially women, we are programmed to rescue. We're programmed to intervene. We're programmed to save. And if you do that, you're depriving people of the opportunity to grow and to learn and to experiment and in my mind, that is the biggest role of a leader is to mm. be that catalyst and to create an environment where it's safe to do that. Mm. So if you're constantly manipulating the situation or curating everything or intervening and just going, this is what we're doing, it's never going to lead to that. That's just really basic management. Uh, so yes, hardest, hardest skill to actually implement, but a very, very valuable one. Mm. 
All right, given we've only got a couple of minutes left, I just want to quickly review and then see if there are any other key points that you would use to help change someone's mindset, especially, you know, us being servant leaders and working with people like product owners, um, using that as an example, what is it? Do you think there's a key tip that we might have missed? So I'll just quickly review. Uh, so earn their trust, uh, know their influences, so get to know the why better, uh, get a higher, use a higher side, a higher, higher authority, go out on a verbal limb and then make them feel like it was their idea or I would like to reword that to help them unpack it and, um, and help them understand the value. Um, what do you think, it, just the last, I don't know, 20 word phrase, do you think there's any, anything else that you would provide advice to the audience on how to help influence someone's mindset? The only one I'd probably tweak is that one about the experts. So instead of that, I'd say, look at who these people look up to um, or who they're likely to look up to in the situation. Because if you can find the right messenger, more often than not, that's a lot more powerful than whatever message you're actually trying to send. And then the other side to that piece is that you want to help empower the, the impacted people to get through whatever blocks are holding them. So it's, it's more about empowering rather than trying to structure or manipulate anything. It's if, if you really trust them and you really care about them, you want them to get to the best place possible. The only thing I would add is talk to the behaviour, not the person. So talk about the behaviour you're trying to change, not don't come across as being attacking the person's character. So when you act in such a manner that have you noticed the team reacts, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're talking to a product owner, for instance, and get them to think about that. And maybe they, they didn't notice or maybe they do notice and... And then then that's your opening to go, well, what if we tried something else? Actually, one more thing that does come to mind, which is very behavioural science, is we look a lot at the environment. So if your behaviour is triggered by a certain thing in the environment, so for instance, you don't have a lot of collaboration in your group, instead of trying to actively address the behaviour through conversation and through expertise, Acknowledge that it is a subconscious behavior and tweak the environment so that you're encouraging a different subconscious behavior. So if, for instance, you set out a new framework for how you want to conduct meetings or how you want to brainstorm a solution, then that in itself can help drive a different behavior pattern rather than needing to try and actively influence a mindset shift. And that's a whole lot easier and a lot more effective in many situations. Mm. Instead of going to a meeting room, go for a coffee. Exactly. Go for a walking meeting. Go have a mm. chat. Disarm, disarm yourselves. Mm. 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 Fantastic. All right. Well, let's leave it there. Um, Michelle, thanks so much for coming on and, and helping us thanks chop through that. Thanks for having me. Always fun to chat. We'll have to get you back on again soon. Yes, definitely. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, let's wrap it up there. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll catch you next week. Bye for now. Thanks everyone for listening. We hope you got something out of that. If you did or if you didn't, 
uh, feel free to email us at awakenagile@gmail.com. Uh, let us know if you have different tactics you use to influence change or mindsets. And of course, you can contact us on LinkedIn as well. We have an Awaken Agile page and you can contact their private ones, uh, Jordan Bailey and Adam Murray. Additionally, Michelle Holzman, if you follow her on LinkedIn, she has articles every Tuesday that she releases and they're quite interesting. I'd highly recommend it. Thanks everyone for listening. Catch you next week.